Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, Strategic Thought Leadership coach and consultant, and this is Thought Leadership Studio, episode 60, Optimizing the Sales Process, with Scott Moss of M Sales Growth Advisors, navigating the sales maze with empathy-driven sales strategies. What this episode will do for you is help you navigate the sales maze in tech, delve into Scott Moss's expertise in enhancing sales processes specifically tailored for the tech industry, but relevant to all, ensuring scalable and repeatable success. Learn empathy-driven sales strategies and discover the pivotal role of empathy in understanding the buyer's journey and how it can revolutionize your approach to sales. Leverage CRMs for lead management and uncover the importance of using customer relationship management tools for efficient management of leads and prospects. Gain insight into developing a fluid, multi-channel process for transforming potential leads into loyal clients. Learn from Scott's insights on KPI, Key Performance Indicator Driven Sales Strategies, and how they can guide and enhance your sales team's performance, focusing on targeted goals and outcomes. And also discover how to leverage existing thought leadership content into your sales strategy to engage and convert prospects. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process. So I suggest to listener that it's worthwhile to listen repeated times, whether this is an episode with an interview with a model of excellence or deep dive into a particular aspect of strategic thought leadership. In any case, make sure you also go to the episode page of thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It is linked to in the episode description if you're listening on an app where we'll have links to other resources, including the free marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership, a free download to help you with the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. In this episode of Thought Leadership Studio, I'm excited to introduce Scott Moss, the founder and CEO of M Sales Growth Advisors. Scott helps clients in the tech industry improve their sales processes and achieve scalable growth. 
We discuss the importance of having a defined sales process, documenting these processes, and using a CRM to manage leads and prospects. Scott emphasizes the need for empathy and understanding the buyer's journey when developing sales strategies. He also recommends structuring your day to include dedicated time for prospecting. All businesses rely on sales. And like everything in business, sales is a process that benefits from clear documentation and optimization. So whatever the size of your business, the processes and insights Scott brings to the table are relevant. And I'm sure you'll learn something that will make an immediate impact on enhancing your sales through improved processes. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. So I'm Chris McNeil, your host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here with Scott Moss, who is the founder and CEO of M Sales Growth Advisors, who helps clients, primarily in the tech space, improve their sales processes, leverage sales tools. He does coaching, helps with thought leadership content, accountability to KPIs, and a defined, repeatable, and scalable sales process, something that should be valuable to all of us in business. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. And you nailed it. That's exactly what I do. Oh, I had a good script to go by, so it helped a lot. <laughs> so, Perfect. so, Scott, for our listeners, what set you on this path? What was the moment or, or phase in your life that you kind of woke up to your potential as a leader in sales processes and guidance? Sure. So great question. I mean, I've been in sales my entire career, so that's 30 years now. Um, and halfway through my career, I, I got out of corporate sales and wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and, and got into the tech space. Uh, and those companies really were looking for process to scale, you know, lots of startups and they needed the, uh, the playbook, so to speak, to guide them. Right. So I worked for a couple of startups in the early part of the 2000s and all the way up through just about four or five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, four years ago, actually. And the startup that I was with lost their funding when COVID hit. So instead of going to work for another startup, doing what I had done for all those years, I thought that I should start my own business. And, you know, I thought that there was a need in that space, especially small, medium-sized firms, to have something that's repeatable, something that they can you know, count on to scale. So it was really something that I'd have always done. Uh, the timing with COVID was kind of like, pushed me a little bit further and said, do it on your own. So that's what I did. I started M Sales Growth April 1st of 2020 and picked up my first client about two months later and haven't looked back. That's awesome. It's also like the phoenix rising from the COVID ashes. Right. Yeah, I can relate. Right A hurricane set me on the entrepreneurship path. Oh, yeah? Yeah, wiped out the city. And it's like, well, might as well start something brand new. Yeah. yeah so that's awesome. So 
if you had to pick a couple of key processes that you think are relevant as leverage points for people who might already be good at persuasion and large-scale marketing and creating good media, which I think most of our listeners probably are, okay. but need to convert this attention to sales. Yeah, what what so, are the leverage points you look for? So let, let me start with the, the biggest challenge that I've seen with that. If, if that's okay. So I've worked with many companies and been a part of companies that, that can acquire leads, that can create you know, brand awareness and, and generate interest. The challenge then is what do you do with those interested potential clients? So you know, maybe that's kind of that, that lever point of we have them, what do we do with them? What process do we follow? to turn them from, you know, tire kickers into qualified leads, into actual paying clients. And typically it was send an email, make a phone call and cross your fingers. And that's sure. not something that is scalable or repeatable. So it, it's really a function of building some sort of fluid process. And it's not complicated but building a fluid process and following it so that when a lead comes in, however it's acquired, it goes through a certain sequence that is aimed at converting it into an actual client. And that could be a multi-channel, multi-touch sequence, but the key is, is multi. And, and most companies will make a call, like I said earlier, or send an email, and sit back and wait, but that's not how sales works. You know, we wish it worked that way, sure. but it doesn't. And for a number of reasons, you know, it could be because timing isn't right, that someone's not calling you back. It's because the pain isn't great enough that someone's not returning your email. So it's, it's incumbent on the sales team to kind of not force the issue, but bring it to a higher state of awareness with a potential client. And that's what a sales process can do. And it's not all about, you know, making 10 and 15 calls and leaving all those messages. That's part of it, mm -hmm. but it's about providing credibility and thought leadership and subject matter expertise so that those leads that may just be tire kickers start to think more about what your specific organization can do to help them solve a problem or accomplish an objective. And that's where those sequences really come into play. So you have sequential processes that mm -hmm. aim to create a buying environment, so to speak, where a prospect can become more aware of the problem that's driving them to a solution mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, possible solutions that could solve that problem. Yeah. And, and it's creating more of a pain, right? It's, it's bringing that pain, not just how it impacts the buyer that day, but how it impacts their business for the medium and long term. And so you can't just, um, you know, throw out your ser the services that you offer or the products that you offer. You have to dig deeper than that. I think you had someone on a couple of weeks ago that was talking about the iceberg and it made complete sense. It's like peeling back an onion. You can't just rely on the first thing you say. You can't just rely on the first question. 
and you and it's the same thing in in sales and uncovering pain you can't rely on just an email or a call you have to get them thinking about the impact of not doing something mm -hmm. and once you get them to see that they need to then view you as the subject matter expert so like awareness they know they have a problem they know who you are consideration they're thinking about doing something about it and they'll consider you as a possible solution provider because you have presented them with some level of expertise and then decision if they they're they're ready to spend their money you're in a position to earn that business because you have already through content through touches through the presentation of who you are, what you do, and the impact that you've had on businesses, you'll earn that prospects yes and win. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in sales processes as we were discussing before we started recording. Is I've seen yeah. it work in my own businesses in the past. And how much diversity is there in the, the range of types of processes that you bring to business? You say you work a lot in the tech space. I imagine even within the tech space, there's got to be some diversity. So the same kit wouldn't necessarily work for all of them or the core things it would. So the same structure will work, but you have to nuance that structure, right? So we, we think about um, the sequence. And, you know, maybe in one industry, the sequence runs every on a cadence of every three days, right? That might work for a highly transactional business, right? Where you're selling widgets or you're selling software packages. Something that's more complex requires, you know, more space in between touches. So a little bit of a longer cadence um, with different messaging. And, you know, so... While a structure can be applied, you have to make sure that within that structure, it is specific and diverse to the unique challenges and industry specs that that company is operating within. That makes sense. Certainly the, the frequency of touches pivoting on the complexity uh, in nature. Um, can you give our listeners some examples of types of touches, maybe some that involve pure media, some human touches or combination type touches, or how would you? Yeah. Yeah. So look, I mean, you have to use the tools that are out there. You know, LinkedIn is a tool uh, for communication and that's a great way to start a conversation as long as you're not selling the chat, the, the big problem that I've seen lately with LinkedIn and I'm the recipient of a ton of LinkedIn spam. You know, people trying to sell me stuff left and right on LinkedIn. And my clients, you know, are afraid of that. And when I suggest to them that we're not going that route, we're going the route of starting a conversation and building a relationship and earning some level of trust and presenting a high level of credibility and subject matter expertise, then it's kind of like, okay, that makes sense. So you have to Make sure that whatever tool you're using, email, phone, LinkedIn, video messaging, SMS, that you're, you're focused, especially with the type of clients that I work with in tech, which is the more complex side of it, longer sales cycles, that you're not about pitching. You can't pitch. You have to present knowledge. You have to present 
empathy to their situation. You have to show them that you've seen it, you understand it, you've helped other clients work through it. And it's really about coming up with a solution that's specific to them, right, within the structure. Um, so you have to use all of those tools. It's a matter of how you're using them and where you insert them in a cadence, right? So for example, I have, I have one client that is a wealth management firm, right? So 90% of my business is in technology. The other 10% is like a mishmash of other types. And we have to be very careful with wealth management because everybody and their brother is trying to sell stocks and bonds and mutual funds and retirement planning. And it's a very relationship-driven business. But you have to start a relationship somewhere. And so we have to use the tools that are out there to start that relationship. So again, it's creating awareness of, of who these wealth managers are and what makes their firm different. And not driving home every third day through an email or through a phone call that they need to con they need to uh, be considered uh, as the wealth manager of choice. It is drawn out. It's you know several weeks between touches. It's very soft touches. So everything has to be nuanced. But you have to use the tools that are out there. Even those wealth managers, they're gonna they're on LinkedIn. And they're making connections and they're having they're sharing messages and content. And they're also at some point going to pick up the phone and reach out to the folks that have engaged with their outreach. Mm -hmm. Seems like it, your approach seems to pivot a lot on buyer psychology and empathy yeah. and the stages of learning people go through before they refine their criteria enough to feel comfortable making a purchase. Yeah, do you help yeah. relies kind of, heavily on that. Do you help companies build a psychological profile of this learning that prospects go through ahead of the sale? I, I actually do, yeah. So part of, I think, what's really important in any process or, or playbook is to have a very clearly defined sales mission. And a sales mission uh, is the compass, really, for your plan and your process you know, point you in the right direction. So the components that I consider critical are, um, you know, the key industry niches that a client wants to pursue within those niches, the ideal client profile, right? Within the ideal client profile, the buyer personas. And part of creating those buyer personas are uh, defining psychological descriptors of those buyers and how they make decisions and the, and the uh, sensitivities that you need to keep in mind when you're pursuing them. So we go to pretty great depths um, when we're building out that sales mission so that when we get to a point of drafting the value proposition statements, we know that they will be meaningful to that buyer based on that psychological uh, uh, breakdown that we create. So they'll be meaningful. They'll resonate. They'll, they'll substantiate mm -hmm. the, the client's offering to that buyer. And they'll have some uh, mode, some, some message about differentiation as well. And, and the final leg of the sales mission is having really clearly defined KPIs that a sales team should be um, accountable for 
and driving new business acquisition. So those are the five elements. But to your, your point earlier, the psychological focus on the buyer persona within the ICP plays a big role. And, and you said it earlier, the, the, the ability to empathize with the decision-making process, not just um, is this good for me, the buyer, is, is the decision smart for my business and what impact will it have? Then it's up to the salesperson to know that and then present the solution in a way that's meaningful and impactful, not just to that buyer, but to their business, to their challenges, to their goals, all of the things that comprise um, the criteria that goes into their decision-making process. You reminded me of one of those statements that was pivotal for me from a guy named Jay Abraham, who's one of my influences in sales and marketing. And he said that a big mistake a lot of business leaders make is they fall in love with their business, where they really should be falling in love with the prospect and customer. Yeah. And going yeah. onto their side of the table. And and do you find that's common for, for leaders to have too much of an inside out view and not enough of an outside in view of how their business looks from the researching or post contact prospect and customer. Yep. hundred percent. How do you get them to shift that to that outside in awareness to that empathy buyer personas is, is a certainly a good tool and is widely used. Mm -hmm. but there has to be other things you do in your, in your consultation and coaching that get people to accept the need to empathize. Yeah. Yeah, so it it is it is hard, you know. Um, when you work with a founder, it's it's yeah, the love of their product, the love of their service, the love of the technology that they've created, and most focus on the features and benefits of that technology. Mm -hmm. And I'm um, I'm pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I don't really hold back. There's not a lot of sugarcoating. And the way I work with my clients is, look, if you want to actually grow your business, you have to start, stop thinking about how great your product is and start thinking about how much of an impact your product can have on a potential client and, and think in their terms and think in their mindset and empathize with exactly the challenges that they're facing near and, and medium term, where does your product fit in all that? And it's not about, you know, the great bells and whistles that your product has. It's about the output. It's about what it actually does to impact the client's business. So I just tell them that the more you focus on just how great your product is, the less likely you are to grow your business. It's got to be all about the customer experience. That's right. I mean, it's the famous question. So what does that mean to me? Right. Yeah. That's right. The customer. Right. Yeah. Then so, it, you can say it's, it's the why, you know, you've got this, the what is the great product or the great service. The why is the impact that it has on the people that ultimately use the product or service. So obviously you got a wide range of impact points by which you can help a business improve their sales. Is this play what if with a scenario of uh, a consultancy has got, you know, it's a small consultancy. Say they got four or five consultants and a team of 20 and they're working Fortune 100 companies. And they got, they, they do some 
thought leadership content and you do you have ebooks and you built up an email list that keeps coming back from the ebooks, but you don't really have a big process for converting those other than having a page on our site. We offer a free consultation. Mm-hmm. We have an email list of some thousand of, of you know good prospects that are reading the material because they like it. What would be your impact points, your leverage points um, that you would approach refining that kind of system? Well, first of all, the content that they have, you know, that's that's huge, right? So we do a big part of what we do is buyer's journey content analysis, gap analysis, and make sure we have the enough content pieces that align with the buyer's journey. So, you know, this consultancy that you're talking about has all that. They've got a beautiful website, but it sounds like, you know, the consultants, AKA rainmaker, rainmakers are probably not making rain. So it's, it's simple. It's really about outreach. It's about putting together a defined process, blocking time in a calendar to uh, execute that process and being held accountable to KPIs. That is very important. And that's where I find a lot of teams, whether they have a sales team or, you know, I've even spoken with some uh, accounting firms, some consulting firms, you know, their consultants aren't salespeople. They don't know how to be salespeople. You know, the wealth management client that I mentioned, they don't know how to be salespeople. So it's a matter of putting KPIs in place that they are accountable to and showing them how to execute the process and making sure they're doing it. So that that lever point is saying, look, if you actually want to grow this business, then you're going to have to do this business development work. It's not all going to come to you, right? So you have to think 12, 18 months out. And what are you doing to fill your pipeline with qualified leads that at that point will become clients, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes that kind of um, nurturing to, to turn them when they are ready to be turned. Do you find flow charting these processes is helpful? And yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how we do it. And when you're, when you're mentioning KPIs, are we talking about things like number of leads per unit time, solution presentations or discovery presentations? Yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about like initial touches to your target ICP. We're talking about, um, visibility into opens and clicks and engagements uh, with those initial touches. We, we measure um, secondary outreach, you know, who are you following up with, who are you connecting with that has shown some level of interest. And then it's how many first time meetings have you had those intro discussions and how many do you need to have in a given month to get to X number of discovery sessions. Sure. And how many discovery sessions do you need to have to get to X number of X number of proposal pitches? And that ultimately drives you to the, the client acquisition goal that you need to achieve. So you're kind so, of beginning with the end in mind. We want this many clients. So we need to do this yeah. many presentations. So we need to do this many discoveries. That's right. Everything was kind of reverse engineered. So we either look at it as um, what is your total either contract value goal or total realized revenue goal. And we look at average ICP size and spend 
and back out numbers based on what we've seen as kind of industry standard conversion rates from one stage of the client lifecycle to the next. And do you hone in on optimization of these, especially the in-person type touch points with training designed to increase the conversion ratio type KPI so that yeah. you're giving the optimum presentation or do you do a lot of A-B testing with this? Do you have companies test different approaches against each other? We, we do. We do. So, you know, first to the, the, the presentation, you know, when I review the content and collateral that my clients bring me, um, I would say nine out of 10 times I'm reviewing their presentation deck and it, it's like 40, 50 slides long. That's and all? That's their... That's their, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was that's, their that's their intro presentation. But the thought is like, we're going to throw everything at them. Mm. And it's an intro presentation. That's supposed to be you listening to them. Right. Right? That's supposed to be you hearing about their problems. That's the, that's the first therapy session. Mm -hmm. Right? And... Um, from there, it's, okay, how can I align my solution with all of the stuff that you just unloaded, right? Then you start getting into, here's how we might structure a solution, right? And, and it's through that discovery that you're getting alignment and buy-in so that by the time you get to the proposal review meeting, it's kind of like, yeah, I expected that these are going to be the deliverables and this is how you're going to solve my problem. This is how long it's going to take. And this is how much I have to invest. And the, the, that first presentation is really what sets the stage. It shouldn't be a presentation. It should be a listening section. If you have one or two slides that you want to use to show your clients, and if you want to show a case study or your process, great. You know, my rule is no more than five slides on an intro deck. No Makes more. Sense. And the, the first slide is the title slide. <laughs> sure. And the last slide is where do we go from here? So there's exactly. three slides that are in between, right? Do you, and what do you yeah. think about developing models for these situations? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what do you no, think about good. developing models for these situations that are explanatory in the types of problems you solve for customers from the customer's point of view, like this is syndrome A. We found that people in the marketplace for this kind of service make these kinds of mistakes. And here's a solution for those um, as, as something more designed for empowerment rather than show what we can do. But here's how we discovered our audience thinks and here's how a different way of thinking could help them. Yeah. So I, I think that's really important. That's that kind of goes to storytelling and and and, you know, business case. Right. So it's, it's not about the solution, it's about the outcome, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we've seen these types of approaches work and, you know, you might fit in nice and neatly to an approach or we might have to configure an approach specific to your challenge. But the message has to be, we know how to do that. Right. And, and we we go through our process one of the things that's also important is for a sales team to say we have a process mr potential client and our process will get you to a point where you see a solution that is really specific to the output that you're looking to accomplish versus someone saying just send me your pricing and it's like oh i got a proposal someone wants to see pricing and everyone hurries up and they pull the whole team together and then they send 
a 30 page proposal through email and they don't hear back. How surprising. Nice. How surprising, right? right. Throwing a proposal <laughs> over the wall and hoping someone touches it. But that's the reality that, that I see so often. So, you know, you do have to have that model, that, that business, um, uh, what's a good word for it? business solution model to present to your potential client so that they see, and it does a couple of things, but it's so that they see that you have a process to understand and provide a solution. It also gives them comfort that you've really gone and done a deep dive and the solution aligns and the onboarding and delivery also will align, right? Mm -hmm. Process is important and it brings comfort and confidence. People need models that help them connect the dots for themselves. So Absolutely. They come to conclusions that support what you're offering. Absolutely. And uh, here's something I've seen, and, and uh, you, you're a great example of someone who pivoted to a business when COVID hit, an independent business. And <clears throat> But I've seen a lot of the syndrome of businesses, consultants, and salespeople in different fields, solopreneurs who relied on local networks mm -hmm. and they had strong local business at the same time they could do what they're doing for anyone over zoom worldwide right and they have the beginnings of the online presence to support that and they're just starting to get a little mm -hmm. traction but they haven't made the transition what do you think about that scenario and what steps would you recommend <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me um yeah, so I'll just use use myself as a case study. So when I started the business, I called everybody and their brother that I knew to float the concept of, of what I was going to do. And they were um, some local, some more national in scope. And so I, I started to think that, you know, maybe it would make sense for my business not to be just restricted to Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I am. Mm -hmm. And the thought is, well, how are you going to make that happen? How are you going to work with a, a client in Seattle? But your point about Zoom and um, and the ease of communication now made it a no-brainer. So, you know, your local network is good to rely on, I think, for for concept validation and to get started, right? To To kind of get the ball rolling. But once you get one or two logos you all of a sudden have credibility. So as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, you have to leverage that. Mm -hmm. And because of Zoom and Teams and everything else that's out there, there is no reason you can't be global. And, you know, strangely enough, I have two clients that aren't in the United States, three. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it just, it worked out perfectly. I only have two clients in, in the greater Cleveland area. They're all over the country and it's fun and you don't have to limit yourself just to your local network. Here's the other thing. A local network isn't scalable, right? A local network isn't scalable and relying on referrals from that local network isn't scalable. It, it doesn't diminish the importance of that local network. You know, you still have to work that and nurture it and be present in that local network, but you can't be confined to it. And, and that's because it's, it's comfortable, right? It's comfortable to just live in your local area. You have to be able to get out of that zone. And that's part of 
the, the coaching is that coaching is part of what we do as well, especially for sales teams that aren't used to actually selling, right? Their sales in name, not really in function, mm -hmm. right? Or their biz dev in name, not in function. So it's getting them out of that comfort zone and suggesting and, and intimating that they can do it without being icky, without having that, that label of sales guy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's so much you can leverage. It's just opening up and doing more with what you have. That makes a lot of sense. And it certainly does seem to be a, a shift in perspective, maybe mm -hmm. a shift in belief systems. And mm -hmm. I've noticed that a, a lot of people have been actually very effective at building a, a pretty strong local business through processes mm -hmm. that they've internalized so much they couldn't really explain them to you without a lot of deep questioning. Right. Yeah, they're doing the touches. They're taking people through the stages. But if you ask them to train someone else on how to do it, they'd be just like, I just do it. But there's really a lot of processes underneath the surface. And especially there are a lot of processes. You know, and so, yeah, scaling means you have to have a documented approach, a documented process. So one of the pieces of, of advice I would give to any entrepreneur, solopreneur, someone thinking about doing that is come up with a process document it so that when you're ready to scale your business, you can teach others. So I have a business coach. I have a sales coach that, that I work with. And when I first started concepting this idea, when, when the startup lost their funding, someone said to me, have a defined process. It's three steps. It's five steps. It's six steps, whatever it is, document it and use that to engender trust and confidence. Mm -hmm. And you can then you can train others on how to execute that process, and it's paid dividends. It really has. You you got to put pen to paper. Yeah, you know everything we do in business really <clears throat> is a process. But until we mm -hmm. document it and examine it that way, how are we going to optimize it? Yeah, that's right. How are you going to evaluate it? How are you going to? Um, modify it based on changing market conditions or based right. on changing product market fit or whatever. I mean, it's super important. And that's, you know, that's why we have a documented playbook. It's okay. Here is my, here is my base. And one of the challenges then is what do I do with it? So yeah, you execute against it, but you have to pay attention to the results that you're getting. So you talked a little bit earlier about AB testing. You know, it's always about pressure testing. It's always about, is this working? If not, why? What do we need to do to change it? So a playbook can't just sit and not be modified. It has to be reviewed. It has to be used. It has to be modified. I say it has to be dynamic in its structure. Makes right? sense. Yeah. Yeah, like a living organism. That's, that's, that's exactly how I say it. It's a living, breathing thing. It is. You know, we mechanize these things, but... Until we have an organic type approach in that sense, it's too easy to adopt industrial age and industrial design to a process that is more right. human oriented and, like I said, empathy based. Right. You know, we don't want to see our clients as, you know, prospects as just numbers within graphs, but and go to their side of the table and look at it from that side and design right. from there. So, this has been really enlightening. 
And certainly got to be thinking about, got my processes documented well enough. They're pretty good. I had it down to a T when I was in the fitness business because it was dependent on that, you know? Yeah, of course. And, and uh, we had, we had margins and we had, you know, certain balances and numbers that had to be there for profitability and everything drove that and it worked because of the documentation at that level. Right. So thinking about our, our listeners, uh, the entrepreneur, the marketer, the uh, mm -hmm the solopreneur, the influencer, the thought leader, what would be the top three? I got two questions for you. First is what are the top three things that you would recommend from your perspective they could do right away to make a difference? Okay. The kinds of things we're talking about with optimizing sales processes. Secondly, how would someone find you? Now I'm going to link to all of your resources on the episode page. So if you're listening to this, the listener... <clears throat> If you're listening on an app, click on the link in the episode description. I'll have links to all Scott's information there as well as a, a story about this. Uh, but Scott, first of all, the three things you'd recommend someone can start doing right away. And second, yep. how would someone reach out to you um, if they're just listening somewhere and you want to punch something in their phone and find you? Yeah. For the first thing you need to do is, is you need to draft your company's sales mission. It's, it's not a complicated thing. It just takes some time. And the components of a sales mission are your ideal client profile, your target industry niche, your buyer personas, your value proposition statements, and the KPIs. You know, KPIs that will get you to your sales goals. That is your sales mission. So that's the first thing that you should do. That will at least define what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to accomplish it with. <clears throat> that's the first thing. The second thing, is make sure you've got a CRM in place because spreadsheets and your brain or post-it notes aren't a way to manage a pipeline, right? So there are many free CRMs out there. There are also many low-cost CRMs out there. You don't have to be fancy. You just have to have something where you can have visibility into your leads funnel and your deals pipeline. So that's, that's the second thing. Um, the third thing I would say is structure your day so that you're always, you always have time for prospecting. An hour or an hour and a half every day for building out your prospect pipeline or your lead funnel, if you will, with the types of clients that match your ICP. So do all those things. Those are the first three things that I suggest you do. There's obviously a lot more that comes afterwards, but you can do that right now. You know, you can block an hour in your calendar to do prospecting. You can block a half a day on a weekend or over the course of a couple of days to draft your sales mission. And you can go online and within 15 or 20 minutes, do a quick evaluation of CRMs and sign up for a free one or sign up for one that's really low cost. Um, the second question was how to get a hold of me. Email, phone, smoke signal. Um, <laughs> Telegram. I, um, you know, I, I have my, my LinkedIn page, so please hit me up on, on LinkedIn. Um, my email is scott.moss at msalesgrowth.com. The website is msalesgrowth.com. There's a really cool assessment you can take if you're interested in, um, in getting a sense of 
what your current situation looks like compared to a more optimized sales playbook or sales process. Um, there's some guidebooks that you can download from my website. So either email me or go to my website and hit me up there. Uh, I love making LinkedIn connections as well. So those are, those are the ways to reach me. Fantastic. Hope a lot of people yeah. do this do so, Scott. What's yeah, that'd be great. The show? Chris, thank you so much. It was, it was wonderful to be with you. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you. My pleasure. Same here. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I hope you got a lot out of my conversation with Scott. All businesses rely on sales. And like everything in business, sales is a process. It's a process that benefits from clear documentation and optimization. So the processes and insights that Scott brings to the table are likely to make an immediate impact on enhancing your sales. Make sure you go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com if you're listening on an app. It has links to Scott's materials, has links to his website, his LinkedIn page, etc. And also has a link to get a free PDF guide called The Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership that will help you with the building blocks of your own thought leadership. I'm Chris McNeil founder and creator of The Thought Process, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant. I appreciate you listening to Thought Leadership Studio and look forward to seeing you in the next episode.